to another episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax. Once again, flying solo this week. Parker Fleming is slacking on the Grizzly Bear Blues podcast network. Um, it's not like he's busy or anything. It's not like he has you know multiple shows that he makes appearances on throughout the week. But I guess I'll let him slide this time as he uh, he prepares for Memorial Day weekend trip. I, I hope he has fun. He picked a terrible time to go on vacation since the Grizzlies are hosting playoff basketball for the first time in four seasons. And we're going to talk about that and much more, of course, on this episode of GBB Live. Ways to get in touch with the show. You can follow us on Twitter at GBB Live. You can follow our blog, wonderful blog uh, that Parker and I are fortunate enough to uh, write for that I, Joe Mullinax, am fortunate enough to be the site manager for uh, SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues at SBN Grizzlies. You can follow Parker on Twitter. Again, not joining us this week, but hopefully be back next at Paca underscore Flocka. And of course, you can join me uh, if you want to join me on Twitter. Uh, that, that I always I always say that. And I always wonder, do people really want to do that? Um, but you can follow me if you'd like at Joe Mullinax. It's a bold strategy, but it might pay off for you this time. We'll see how it plays out for you guys. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on iHeart on uh, Google, pretty much anywhere you can get a podcast. Uh, you can find GBB Live. You can find the Core 4. You can find 3 and D. You can find the Starting 5. I had a vision for a podcast network, and that is exactly what we've established at GBB. Four unique shows, recording episodes weekly. Uh, lots of good stuff to check out in addition to the site over at GBB. Make sure you're subscribing, rating, reviewing the GBB podcast network. My guest on this episode is one of the very best when it comes to talking about the Utah Jazz, especially when it comes to SB Nation. One of the best things about SB Nation is for just about every team, you have someone that you can talk to. Obviously, last week we talked to uh, Brady Klopfer talking about the Warriors on the last episode. On this episode, we are welcoming the site manager for the Utah Jazz SB Nation blog, SLC Dunk. He has been featured on ESPN and Sports Illustrated. He has a YouTube page that you can subscribe to if you'd like. Uh, he does a lot of great content, of course, mostly revolving around the Utah Jazz. And he's kind enough to give us some time on this episode of GBB Live. His name is James Hansen at Hansen James on Twitter. I believe it's not a coincidence, James, that your Twitter handle, when you say Hansen James quickly enough, it sounds like handsome James. It's like you're fishing for compliments, sir. It's a little bit. I, I don't mind when people make that mistake. It may be, it may be an actual literal mistake. I don't know how handsome I actually am, but uh, I don't mind people saying my Twitter handle quickly. It's leading people, right? You're trying to reach them, <laughs> get them to that conclusion. You say the Twitter handle, handle uh, Hanson James, and you're like, handsome James? And then you look at the picture like, oh, yeah, he is kind of handsome. So, uh, it, it's leading the witness, and I can, uh, I can appreciate that. So, James, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm a big fan of the work that you guys do over at SLC Dunk. And I'm to be honest with you, and this is probably not something that I should say on a Grizzlies podcast, I'm a fan of the Utah Jazz. Uh, I, I am impressed with the way that that team kind of stayed the course after the way things played out in the bubble. It felt like they were kind of at a fork in the road where they could have decided to blow things up, uh, maybe try to move on from Mike Conley after the rough season he had that very first year 
Bogdanovich's uh, contract looked a little bit rough given how things finished in that 2019-2020 season. But the Jazz doubled down. They brought Derek Favors back. I know he's a favorite of Utah fans. And, and they pretty much stayed the course with their core guys. And they were rewarded for it. They are, in terms of regular season record, the very best team in the NBA. They are the number one seed in the playoffs in the Western Conference. And all these vibes were good uh, until Donovan Mitchell got hurt. And all these vibes were good until the Memphis Grizzlies won two games to get into the play-in or through the play-in to get into the playoffs. And they shocked the world on Sunday. So I feel like I'll lead off with this, James. It, it, it seems like it was a bit of a roller coaster ride for you guys. You've had the highest of highs. I mean, uh, you know Utah Jazz history better than me, but even with Stockton and Malone, I, I think it's probably fair to say that this is the most successful regular season in the history of the Utah Jazz. And then... With that comes championship expectation. And of course, the Lakers and the Clippers still exist. And, you know, there's going to be challenges along the way. But I think when you're the number one seed, it's fair to expect an NBA finals appearance. And you go from that to Sunday when the Memphis Grizzlies somehow, some way, and we can talk a little more about it, but you get knocked off in that first game by the eighth seed. That that seems like, like, again, that the highest of highs, and the lowest are, of lowest. are you just trying to hurt my feelings or well we're eventually going to get <laughs> just, the game two, obviously <laughs> we're, I, we're progressing james <laughs> progressing it's good the story is going to pick up for you guys uh but that that sunday night game i obviously you know the fan base better than me what was the feeling among utah jazz fans after the memphis grizzlies dylan brooks in particular uh just kind of came out and punched you guys in the mouth uh it it was the worst uh well, I just kind of uh, going off of what you said earlier, to be a Utah Jazz fan is to know uh, sadness at a lot of times. You mentioned Stockton <laughs> Malone. Of course, we had the expectations back then. They end with Michael Jordan. Uh, we had uh, with Darren Williams, you had that one um, that one season where they ended up going to the Western Conference Finals, but ended up getting swept by the Spurs. Uh, and then, of course, that ended terribly with uh, Quick Trade and Jerry Sloan getting, uh, you know, retiring abruptly and 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 then now to this but it just feels like there's just never really a high and you know i i also wanted to say i actually am a big fan of the grizzlies too they're a team that in a lot of ways they're on kind of parallel paths that the jazz have been on um obviously we are connected with the mike conley trade uh but you've got like a a team that feels like they've done things the right way they've made smart moves they're in a a market that doesn't get a ton of attention or attention that it probably deserves with a, a young star guard, both teams kind of have that thing going for them. Um, so I kind of root for the Grizzlies too, but yeah, going back to what you said, what it felt like to lose in the first uh, game, it was the worst. And you act, you compound not only losing, but some sort of strange behind the scenes controversy going on with Donovan Mitchell and the health staff. And there was rumors flying all over the place about what was going on and, and you have apparently Donovan Mitchell has his own health team that he's working with because he doesn't trust the jazz's health team. And Donovan now trusts his own health team more than the jazz and some sort of conflict there it just was terrible. And then the jazz go come out and the Grizzlies look like the tougher team. They look like the team that is tougher mentally. They look like a team that's ready to like to go from the whistle and the jazz looked kind of, shell-shocked a little bit they didn't look mentally tough they turned the ball over uh it was it was terrible and you got to give credit to the grizzlies they came out and they were not afraid and they were in you know 
Salt Lake City, which is renowned for being a super loud and rowdy and rough environment. And they were not afraid and they beat the jazz. And so you have all these things with the jazz where you have uh, defensive, likely defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert, three all-stars, you know, two six men of the year candidates, uh, uh, coach of the year candidate. And, and just like that, home court advantage is gone because they love <laughs> so it's right. just it was not ideal and it uh you know just you know the grizzlies there's a lot to be excited about and there's it's not a team that the jazz should take like lightly in any sense uh john morant has done nothing but just be electric on the floor and just command that grizzlies team like like he's been doing this for a decade uh, it's, it's not a team that the jazz should take lightly at all. And they found out that they found that out the hard way, uh, in game one. And that is important to point out because obviously without Donovan Mitchell, the jazz are not as good and we'll get to game two and you'll get to be a little bit more cheery here in a moment. <laughs> um, but in game one, the jazz were still, I believe it was 10 and six without Mitchell going into that game. And the jazz, mm-hmm. I think the biggest shift for them and correct me if I'm wrong on that for just for my own research is when you have to start angles instead of him coming off the bench. You know, that is easily, I mean, the sixth man of the year finalist uh, listings drove that home. Angles and Jordan Clarkson are, are easily the best one-two punch off the bench in the NBA. And mm-hmm. when you take one of those guys away, it negates a strength of the Jazz and what has become recently a weakness of the Grizzlies, which is their bench. Now, that hasn't always been the case. In, in fact, throughout the regular season, the Grizzlies bench was the strength. The uh, Anthony Melton looks like he's forgotten to play basketball these last few weeks. <laughs> you have, um, you know, struggles with Tyus Jones and Xavier Tillman. Grayson Allen looked terrible in game two, which we'll come to in a moment. Um, you know, it, it really is when you watch that first game, the Jazz looked like they weren't expecting the Grizzlies to come out and fight the way they did. But that's kind of surprising because obviously the Utah Jazz have Grizzlies legend Mike Conley on the team. You mentioned that trade, which looks a heck of a lot better now than it did last year. You mentioned Mike making his first all-star team, deservedly so, uh, Mm -hmm. by the way. And it's wonderful to see Mike play the way that I knew he was capable of. I believe we talked about that on one of your guys' shows. Um, I was on there uh, with Michael, I believe, and we talked about how Mike Conley was going to be very much worth it. And I'm sure people (laughs) were very angry with me a year after that, looking (laughs) like Mike Conley was washed, but he is very much not washed. And he's actually played pretty well in these first two games, both of them, even the game that Utah lost. Conley did some good things. Um, I think that the fascinating thing when watching the jazz without Donovan Mitchell is they don't have anybody who can create their own shot consistently. And that's kind of surprising Mm -hmm. when you think about it, because, you know, uh, Bogdanovich can somewhat do it, but he's obviously older. He's not quite as fleet of foot as he was in the past. Jaron Jackson Jr. can stick him relatively well in the half court. Uh, Bogdanovich forced some shots. And obviously in the second mm-hmm. half of that first game, it worked. He was red hot, but especially in the first half that he wasn't fully there offensively. And he kind of put the jazz. Oh yeah. And he was that first half. He had zero points. He had four turnovers. It was a right. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde with him that game. But obviously Utah needed him, especially with mm-hmm. Mitchell out. So uh, I, I think that that first game to me, the biggest things that Memphis did well. And I wrote about this for the blog was they defended the three, which the Grizzlies did not do in game two, which we'll talk more about here in a moment. And they played essentially even 
between Valanciunas and Gobert. I think you can go back and forth and say Jonas may have gotten some, maybe he won the round on points in game one. Uh, but mm-hmm. at the very least, Jonas, who is a very good NBA center, needs to play tight with one of the best NBA centers. You know, Gobert, unfortunately for him, is in an era where Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid exist. Otherwise, mm-hmm. Rudy would be the undisputed best center in the NBA. Uh, he's probably third behind those two guys. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting to watch how Jonas is one of the very few bigs who can hang with Gobert in terms of his physical presence and the way that he plays. Um, Jonas has the frame. He's able to take it right at Gobert, which he did successfully in game one. And from watching the game, James, obviously aside from Mitchell not playing, to me, the two things that Memphis did best were defend the three because Utah was ice cold. They shot about 25%, which is very unlike them. But at the same time, it's not like they were missing a bunch of wide open shots. Memphis was contending or contesting, excuse me, a lot of those threes. And then Jonas playing Gobert, I think, fairly to a draw. Uh, Again, Gobert did some good things. I think he out-rebounded Jonas. Uh, But at the same time, Jonas was seven for 14. I think Gobert was four for four. So Mm -hmm. it, it really was in that first game, a tale of the best jazz player not being better than his individual matchup in that particular game and the Grizzlies defending the three, especially well. Is there anything that stood out to you beyond that in game one that Memphis won? Again, aside from the obvious that Donovan Mitchell didn't play. Uh, Yeah, so it's you're right. The Jazz do have a winning record without Mitchell. And I think it's a little bit of a uh, it's kind of a credit to their depth because they do have a lot of talent and they do have two six men of the year candidates. So their bench is really solid. And like you said, like you said, when Donovan Mitchell's out, it does move Joe Ingles up to that starting lineup and they lose a little bit of the depth. Um, It's interesting. They have a little bit of a trade off when they do that. They're actually probably a little bit better defensively when Donovan Mitchell sits just because Ingles has size. And it's, you know, defensively, you're just a little bit better when you just have that many big bodies and that much length, but it's offensively, they, they really struggle because you have a team, you know, you have the Grizzlies in this series who I believe are the youngest team in the playoffs in like the last 10 years. I think they've, they've said just a young team with a lot of um, young athletes, especially John Morant with Utah. You've got, you've got lots of um, like skill, lots of shooting ability, lots of talent, but you've got guys like Boyan Bogdanovich. He's early thirties. You've got Mike Conley, early thirties, Joe Ingles, early thirties. Uh, when you don't have Donovan Mitchell on the floor, you, the jazz start to look very unathletic. Right. And, you know, so they can get away with that a little bit from time to time. And they did in the regular season because Gobert's defense is so, so good. And you can kind of manufacture points with lots of efficiency and, and things like that. But right. the jazz get a little easier to guard when they don't have Mitchell, because there's just no one on the team. I mean, Mike Conley here and there, and he's got quickness and he can do that, but really outside of like, you know, occasionally Jordan Clarkson can drive. You just don't really have anyone that can penetrate and bend the defense. And so it allows opposing teams to really cover that three-point line better. Um, that's really just one of the things that happens. And so, yeah, Boyan Bogdanovich had a better second half, but, you know, there just wasn't, I, I'm, and you could see it on the Grizzlies. Like there wasn't really anyone they were really afraid of. Like they're not really afraid of Boyan Bogdanovich. They're not really afraid of, of Joe Ingles, like driving to the hoop and cramming it like a, you know, like Donovan or, or jaw can do. And so it allows them to kind of play a little bit more aggressively without fear of having, you know, it's like you can cover that three point line a lot harder 
without fear of them driving to the hoop. And, and the Grizzlies did a good job. They, they were very disciplined. Dylan Brooks had a monster night. He was, you know, he was able to guard Dylan Brooks, uh, you know, outside of Donovan Mitchell can just really guard everyone else on this jazz team. And so if the jazz don't have that guy that can kind of penetrate and bend the defense, it's, it's you're, you're, you're then relying on players just really shooting lights out from three. Uh, and, and sometimes the jazz have enough shooting talent that they can do that. And that's why they went like 10 and six without Mitchell, but you know, in the playoffs, it's a different animal and you've got play teams playing at a different intensity and the Grizzlies, I, I have to say, I'm just impressed with the Grizzlies demeanor because they really did come out with a better demeanor that first game. I actually felt like the jazz, um, you know, they just didn't come out looking ready to go. And maybe it was because things went on with Mitchell that, you know, kind of threw everyone off, but right. you would think a team of veterans would come out a little more, you know, with a better just better energy. Uh, like you've mentioned with Valanchunas, Valanchunas, I, I, I like watching Valanchunas. He's one of those old school, uh, you know, big body centers that kind of can do a lot of different nice things for the team. He's big. He uses his size really well. He's really physical mm-hmm. and Rudy Gobert has gotten better at guarding guys like that. Um, but Valanchunas really got the better of Rudy in game one. I mean, some, when, when Donovan Mitchell doesn't play, you need Rudy Gobert to have a monster night and, right. and, and things were called really tight and Rudy just did not play very disciplined that first half and it got him into foul trouble. He didn't adjust and Jonas, you know, took advantage of it. You got to give credit to Jonas. He recognized the situation. He got Rudy Gobert in foul trouble and Rudy only played 24 minutes that game. And you know, you, you said it was kind of a wash, but I would say Jonas kind of got the better of him. I, he just, I was just, just trying to be unbiased. He totally got the better of him. <laughs> he, he totally did. Cause that's the thing. If the jazz are not going to have Donovan Mitchell, they really have to win with their defense, but the jazz don't have, you know, if you look at the jazz and the Grizzlies, who's, who are you considering the best wing, wing defender? It's probably Dylan Brooks, right? You know, it's Royce O'Neal's probably number two, I guess. Uh, you know, so, but the Utah really relies on, um, on Rudy Gobert and that's, you know, and I'm, I'm guessing, um, GBB fans aren't watching the jazz every night, but one no. of the thing, one of the things the jazz do and their defense is based on is they know they have Rudy Gobert, who is just an incredible defender. And it's allowed them to put players on the team that aren't typically known for their defense. You're able to go out and, and have Boyan Bogdanovich and, and, and Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell and all these shooters on the floor that, you know, Mike Conley is a solid defender and actually his advanced numbers are, are pretty decent this year. He's like, he's, and I think he's always been a really solid defender, Mm -hmm. but he's, you know, Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley together, it's a little undersized and, and Donovan Mitchell does sometimes leave a little lacking in the defensive end. Um, Boyan Bogdanovich is not a great defender by any means. And so the jazz can get away with it with Rudy Gobert, but if Rudy Gobert is off the floor and Jonas Valanciunas, you know, beats him up and you have these bad defenders, it's, 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 uh, it's bad news. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. And Jonas definitely was a, uh, was he beat up on Gobert in that first game. I was just trying to be nice. Um, oh, he did. Uh, no, so- no, uh, no. Uh, but I think that the biggest thing that made me nervous about that game, and this ties into our next part of the conversation with game two perfectly. And before I get to that, we're talking with James Hansen at Hansen James on Twitter. 
He's a site manager for SLC Dunk, the great Utah jazz blog for SB Nation. Make sure you're following them at SLC Dunk. Of course, you are listening to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinex, flying solo once again uh, without my co-host Parker Fleming. But James and I are having a great chat. We just finished up talking about game one. And the perfect segue into game two is Dylan Brooks, because what made me nervous about game two, and I had a chance to to go on local Memphis radio uh, before the game on Wednesday. And they asked me who I thought was going to win. And I said, Utah was going to win. And again, uh, usually fan blogs are, are supposed to be a little bit more leaning towards the team, but I try, especially in a smaller market. I know you can relate to that. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people depend on GBB for coverage beyond just, you know, fanboying out. So I try to be unbiased. And I thought that the fact that Utah shot as poorly as they did in game one, and still only lost by three. I thought that Dylan Brooks, who only five times in his NBA career of over 240 games, scored over 30 points on 50% shooting. He scored 30 points before, but it's a lot less efficient. So it's very rare for him to, to be that efficient of a score. And I knew Donovan Mitchell, Mitchell was coming back. And all of those factors led me to think that Utah was probably going to take game two, which was okay. The Grizzlies had already gotten the split. They had home court advantage at that point. And I, I, one of the things that made me smile because it made me think of the old grit and grind playoff rivalries was every time that Dylan Brooks touched the ball in Utah, he was booed out of the building. So James, I'm going to give you the floor here and I'm going to allow you to explain why you, I'm assuming you, (laughs) but maybe a, a larger you of jazz fans hate Dylan Brooks so much. Oh, it doesn't take a lot to incur the wrath of jazz fans. I, I mean, I, I, there's a lot of fans out there that are very notorious, but jazz fans are notoriously, uh, I guess sensitive is the word. And then very loud about their sensitivity (laughs) and, and, you know, jazz fans were frustrated last in game one. I mean, I was frustrated. I was just, I couldn't believe that this team, the number one seed came out and looked as just bad as they did in the first half and Dylan Brooks and, and, you know, and Desmond Bain came out and they were just, I mean, they just punked the jazz. They just punched him in the mouth. Like you said, and they laughed about it and the jazz just didn't really respond. You know, they just kind of, and so you, you know, the jazz fans see that and they just, you know, it hurts to see the jazz lose jazz fans are angry about, uh, you know, what's going on with Donovan Mitchell and all that. And also Dylan Brooks just is a really good villain. Like he just is Dylan the villain for a reason. He's very good at that. <laughs> and just... one of the best things about Dylan Brooks. And again, I want to credit Chris Harrington of the daily Memphian for pointing this out. I've noticed it before, but I've never said it. Chris nailed it. Um, you, you're probably familiar with Tony Allen uh, of the yeah. last great iteration of the Grizzlies with grit and grind. Tony would do crazy stuff all the time, like crazy or like Tony was the guy that, it was the middle of a halftime performance in golden state. And he just randomly walked into the middle of the performance, like not even completely oblivious to the dancers around him. Um, you know, he's the guy that kicked Chris Paul in the face, like all that stuff. And mm-hmm. Tony was chaos. Uh, Tony was the dog chasing the car that wouldn't know what he would do if he caught it. Right. Um, Dylan is that for this iteration of the Grizzlies, but with a very big caveat, Tony was just being Tony. I don't believe that Tony had malice. I don't believe that Tony was a calculated mind. I think Tony's a brilliant defender, one of the very best perimeter defenders in the history of the NBA. But I don't think that he was going out and walking in front of those dancers to prove a point. 
every single thing that Dylan Brooks does is calculated. Every single thing. And you mentioned that he's a villain, and he that's what makes him the perfect villain for the other 29 teams in the NBA. Grizzlies fans, who a lot of them wanted to trade him when the season started, a lot of them now love him dearly because of the fact that he is willing to be that dude. And in good times and in bad, Dylan Brooks is going to be that dude. And it's oddly refreshing that you can count on a Dylan Brooks contested mid-range jumper. You can count on Dylan Brooks to foul too much. He leads the NBA in fouls over the last two seasons. He is a constant in an otherwise unconstant or or chaotic world. He is someone that you know exactly what you're going to get. And that is, to me, the brilliance of Dylan Brooks, that he knows exactly what he's doing. And it worked in game one, didn't work as well in game two. The Jazz obviously were very much on to Dylan's physicality, and they picked on him in that way. And and I think that it it got Brooks out of his game. He was frustrated. He was efficient scoring again, but he was nowhere near the defensive force that they need him to be to be successful. The Jazz made 19 threes in game two. If Utah makes 19 threes consistently, they're going to win this series running away. Memphis won't win another game. Uh, I'm hopeful going to Memphis, they'll they'll correct some of those issues with the three-point defense. But from your viewing of the game in game two, Dylan Brooks was a major factor in game one, so much so, in fact, that Jazz fans now almost universally hate him. But he was not that in game two. They talked about focusing on him offensively as an offensive scorer. To me, it looked like that was a bit of a smokescreen, and they really prioritized getting him off the floor in foul trouble, knowing Taylor Jenkins' rotation uh, philosophy. Uh, Coach Jenkins believes in foul trouble. Not not others in Memphis media don't believe in foul trouble. Uh, You keep your best players out there and do the best you can. But, you know, he got Dylan Brooks off the floor and out of his game. So do you think there was a conscious effort? I guess it's pretty obvious there was. But especially with Donovan being there, Donovan's a tough cover for Dylan. And I think that Dylan was not in a place to be able to be allowed to be aggressive the way that he needs to be to be able to negate some of what a Mitchell can do. Yeah, I mean, Dylan Brooks in the first game was really good. And one thing that, you know, I appreciate with Dylan Brooks, like, you know, we're both guys that have been watching this game for a long time. And I've written about a lot of villains in the past, like Tony Allen and all these different guys. But you know what? You've got to appreciate someone like Dylan Brooks in a playoff game like this because he's bringing an energy and and just like a toughness to your team that kind of emanates to everyone else. And so for a team that's as young as the Grizzlies are with like second year, John Morant and, and all these young guys on the floor, I mean, you've got so many young guys on the Grizzlies like Jaron Jackson and Desmond Baines, a rookie having a guy like Dylan Brooks, who is unafraid and is willing to be like that first guy in the scrum and, and fighting with the jazz's best players. I mean, that just gives just energy and, you know, maybe it's a over the top word, but courage to other guys on the floor that they're not afraid to like go out and be tough as well. And so I, I think having that demeanor for the Grizzlies, having Dylan Brooks kind of bring that energy and that like fight and fearlessness and, and villainy uh, that helps everyone on the Grizzlies out. Now uh, you know, it, it worked really well in game one. I think game two was just, just showed you that, you know, some of the issues that the jazz have with John Morant, the Grizzlies are going to have with Donovan Mitchell. Both of them are 
I mean, Donovan Mitchell and John Morant are two of the most elite athletes in the NBA. They are just both of them. I mean, both of them can just blow by their man and get to the rim almost at will. And, you know, for as much as like Royce O'Neal struggles to defend John Morant, I think Dylan Brooks is just going to struggle with, with Donovan Mitchell, just because it doesn't mean Dylan Brooks isn't a good defender. Cause he's, he is a good one. It's just that Donovan Mitchell is such an elite athlete, kind of like John Morant. And it's just, so for the Grizzlies to guard Donovan, they're going to have to be really good in their rotations because every time I've seen the Grizzlies play the, the jazz Donovan is typically pretty, I mean, Dylan will fight and he's never going to give up and he's going to give, give his all every single play. And that's one of the reasons you got to love Dylan Brooks. If you're a Grizzlies fan, if you're a jazz fan, you hate his guts, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, three out of four possessions, Donovan is typically going to be able to get by him. And so for the Grizzlies, if they want to beat the jazz, they're going to have to be really tight in their rotations. Like when Donovan Mitchell blows by Dylan Brooks is Valanchunas able to get up and, and stop the layup. And then if, if Valanchunas moves up to stop, to stop Donovan Mitchell is, is the help side defender going to rotate correctly, you know, and the Grizzlies are really young. Maybe they can do that. Or maybe some of that lack of experience will show, I guess we'll see. Uh, but game two, uh, you know, I think it was just Grizzlies first taste of Donovan Mitchell in the playoffs. I think they, you know, I, I doubt they forgot. I think it's just, a, right. a, it's just a matter of, you know, it's just a fact. Donovan Mitchell is an elite, elite uh, talent in the NBA. And it's just, those guys are just really hard to guard. Um, just like the same thing with John Morant for the jazz. Like he's just a problem and you've just got to be so good on the periphery basically. Right. Um, to overcome the fact that you're playing a guy that's just an insanely good athlete that combines that with insane talent. They're both, you know, they're different players, but they both bring that, that same intense athleticism. I think that's a great way to put it. And obviously Utah with those 19 threes, even with the Grizzlies roaring back and getting it within a score there late uh, in the third quarter into the fourth quarter, um, Utah was just too good and they pulled away and, and got the double digit victory. So the series is tied one, one, heading into a wonderful Memorial Day weekend in Memphis. Uh, Grizzlies fans are excited. They're looking forward to the opportunity to be back in the grindhouse and, and have a chance to watch this team play playoff basketball for the first time in four seasons. When we come back, we're going to preview games three and four for the Memphis Grizzlies against the Utah Jazz back in Memphis. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to GBB Live with uh, James Hansen of SLC Dunk. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is GBB Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax, joined by my buddy over from SLC Dunk, the great SB Nation Utah Jazz blog, James Hansen, at Hansen James on Twitter. In the first segment, we talked about games one and two, why Utah fans hate Dylan Brooks, uh, how Jonas <laughs> Valanciunas punked Rudy Gobert in game one, all those fun things. And now we have a, we have a series. You know, the saying goes that, it's not really a series until the visiting team wins. And, and starting in game one, uh, we had a series. The Memphis Grizzlies technically have home court. I don't know that anybody thinks that Memphis is going to win both of these games, but we'll talk more about that at the end of this segment. But I'm curious going into game three, James. Obviously, Utah had an almost full arena. You'll, you'll know the exact numbers better than me in terms of what the Jazz allowed into the arena for games one and two in terms of attendance. 
it's been a bit of a hubbub in, in Memphis. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, James, but uh, the Grizzlies are only going to have about 55%, uh, mm. maybe a little more than 55%. So I think it's around 10,000 fans uh, mm. is what they're expecting in FedEx Forum this weekend. And that's less than obviously what Utah had. And that's less than even what down I-40 in Tennessee, the Nashville Predators have for their current NHL playoff series. So this mm. was a local decision. Obviously, there's still a pandemic going on. It's, I think it's fairly safe to say we're on the, the downward slope of it. But there's oh, still, pan, there's fingers still pan, crossed, fingers right, crossed. Sure. Uh, but again, the vaccine's working and the numbers mm-hmm. are lower exactly. than they have been at any point. So um, I think it's fair to be optimistic, but yeah. we're not done yet. And Memphis is being cautious with those numbers. I'm curious from watching that game, from watching those fans, Obviously, numbers do and don't matter because I think the 10,000 folks that are going to be in that building are going to make plenty of noise. But I'm curious as to your take on and again, I'm not asking for your opinion on, you know, how like the COVID response. Goodness gracious, that is a, a firestorm mm-hmm. I have no interest in. Um, it's more about how valuable do you think it was for Utah? Because, again, Utah lost game one. Yeah, it's not like the, 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 the fans, fans didn't do anything. There. Right. That's what I'm with. I'm with you. So our, and that leads to my question, are, are Grizzlies fans overvaluing that? Are Grizzlies fans getting frustrated? Cause we are pretty good at that. We're good at getting mad at things that aren't necessarily <laughs> all that important. Uh, are we overvaluing the idea of having those numbers? Because like I said, the Grizzlies went into Utah in game one, one of the toughest places to play in the NBA. Utah was 31 and five, I believe going into that game uh, at home that season. And the, the Grizzlies won. So uh, how much should Grizzlies fans care that they will not have as many people from the jazz perspective, because you guys had those two home games, you had more fans than Memphis will have. And again, we're sitting here talking about a split between the one eight series. Um, you know, and I, I actually, I, ha- I guess I have a two part answer. I, the jazz, I think had 13,000 plus or something like that it was i think it was like 70 percent capacity okay so it was more i don't think it was like that I, you know i don't know who knows who knows how many three thousand right. fans how much sound that does but like you said in game one it didn't really matter and that game one just still it hurts my feelings because the jazz <laughs> fans were like they were so loud and it did not seem to matter too much for that jazz team they regardless of the fans they still came out and just didn't produce and so you know, the 10,000 fans or whatever they have for the Memphis Grizzlies, I think it does matter. I think it does provide lift because I, I feel like outside of um, a few players on the jazz, the jazz just have not been mentally tough this series. Uh, they were a little better last game, but I think that was because Donovan Mitchell brought that energy that they were missing. I think the fans in Memphis can give a boost to the Grizzlies and help them because I think the Grizzlies, you looked at that, that first quarter in game two, you, they did the Grizzlies to me looked a little deer in the headlights. Mitchell's making threes. The crowd is insane. It's, you know, a lot of these Grizzlies players first time being in a playoff environment. And Mitchell was giving it back to them. Like you said, in game one, the, the jazz just kind of took it, you know, like the, mm-hmm. the Desmond Bain three point shot where he just stares down Yang and looks at and him just, with the gooseneck. and talked all sorts of right. smack and, and-, and nothing happened. Literally nothing happened in the wake of that. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, in the first five minutes of the Jazz game on game two, 
Donovan Mitchell, I think, got Dylan Brooks two fouls, and he was talking to him the entire time and telling mm-hmm. him, you can't defend me, you're going to foul me, and you're going to foul out of this game, probably using some more choice words than yeah. that. Polite um, words, I'm sure. Sure. So I, I do think there was <laughs> definitely a different energy that Mitchell brought to the game that at least he was willing to punch back, and obviously effectively. Yeah, I think I actually, I you know, how much it helps, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, but I think it will help a young Grizzlies team that I think this is their first, a lot of their first experience in the playoffs. They, it's just a different environment in the playoffs. Just, it's just louder. Every possession is more, uh, just matters more. Uh, you've got, everyone's playing their best players as much as they possibly can. Although sometimes I wonder if Quinn Snyder realizes we're in the playoffs, but, ah, but uh, <laughs> common ground with Grizzlies fans. We're going to talk <laughs> about Grayson Allen here in a moment. You got, I'm sure you'll, you'll embrace that conversation. Oh my heavens. You, do, does Quinn Snyder know you can play Rudy Gobert more than like 34, 35 minutes. I, sometimes I wonder if he knows that I, I does don't know. Taylor Jenkins know that you don't have to play Grayson Allen at all. <laughs> good question there's a few times uh, the jazz. it was very clear it was very clear <laughs> that the utah jazz were keenly aware when grayson allen was on the floor and they attacked him aggressively as well yeah. they should i would have done the exact same thing yeah so i i think the crowd you know it's funny because i'm and maybe it's just because i've been i'm you know i'm just fatalistic as a jazz fan like you know what maybe the grizzlies you'll just maybe the jazz will wilt under the grizzlies crowd fan noise and and not bring that toughness again i i think donovan mitchell is not necessarily just the talent which is obviously the most important thing but i think just his energy helps this jazz team they feed off of it the jazz don't have a tough guy anymore like the the grizzlies do with dylan brooks ingles is kind of that guy a little bit but you know if they used to have jay crowder and he used to kind of be that guy for them Five years ago, it was Trevor Booker. He was the guy that used to be willing to get in the scrums. The Jazz just don't have that. And so having Donovan Mitchell helps with that energy. And I I think the Jazz will probably take one of these two games, but I think the Grizzlies are going to win it. I, the Grizzlies, I don't think the Grizzlies are losing both these games. Um, I think the crowd noise will help the young Grizzlies players be comfortable, give them that energy. Like Because if Donovan Mitchell comes out and has another monster game, or let's say Rudy Gobert just has one of those stretches where it just looks like no one can score. Uh, if the Grizzlies have that fan noise, I think it will kind of galvanize them and help them get through some of those stretches. I can tell you that Memphis is excited to have them back. Uh, I'm it, sure. It's going to be pretty cool to see on TV. Um, again, just the, the energy in that city. I lived in Memphis from 2011 to 2014, and the, the energy in that city when the team is in the playoffs – is unparalleled. It really mm-hmm. is special. And I'm very excited for Memphis. It's been a few years uh, to have that opportunity. Once again, is going to be really cool. Uh, looking at game three and four, again, one of the nice things about this series being split is we've seen what it'll take for Memphis to win. And we've seen what it'll probably take for Utah to win because we have to keep in mind, yes, the Grizzlies won game one, but they did so with the Jazz shooting 25% and only losing by three. In game two, to be fair, the Jazz made 19 threes, shot almost 15% from beyond the arc, and the Grizzlies got it down to within one possession. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that double-digit score that does the end of game two is not indicative of how close that game actually was. So heading into game three and four, I, I think I agree with you. 
and we can kind of, you know, cut to the chase with, with the GVB life question of the day that I was going to end the show on. I think it's highly unlikely that either team wins two games in Memphis. Uh, but in order for the jazz to get one to two victories in order for the jazz to not get swept in this little two game series in, uh, in Memphis, what do the Jazz need to do? Obviously, game two serves somewhat of a blueprint, but you'd imagine the Grizzlies will be a little bit better prepared. Uh, what's the counterpunch? What is the next thing after watching as much Jazz basketball as you have that you think the Jazz will do in game three, especially to try to put the foot back down on the Grizzlies and push them back down to reality of being the eight seed in the series? Um, I think, and I think this is really the difference in game one is for Utah. It's just Rudy Gobert cannot get in foul trouble again. Like he cannot, he cannot let Jonas Valanciunas destroy him. Like he did in game one. He has to be on the floor because Donovan Mitchell is honestly, the jazz are kind of this yin yang team where you've got Donovan Mitchell is the offensive leader and Rudy Gobert is the defensive leader. But if Rudy Gobert, Rudy Gobert raises the floor for the jazz very high and he, he gives the Jazz an opportunity to win every game, every game they're in because of just his ability to keep them in games. But if Rudy Gobert's not on the floor, you'll see a lot. I mean, Quinn Snyder played him. He had to play. He went into the fourth quarter having played like, I think it was 24 minutes. And I was looking at the, the box score, just shaking my head. Like, Quinn, every single time Rudy Gobert sits, the Grizzlies, it's like, it's like when you're trying to, lead your dog along and you lead a hot dog out in front of your dog and let right. it, it that's kind of what happens to the grizzlies they're like oh my goodness i'm going to attack Derek favors like grayson like, no. allen yeah and so you when rudy gobert sits the the grizzlies just look like they're ready they just attack the rim ferociously and uh and utah just i they rudy gobert needs to stay on the floor as much as they can quinn snyder needs to be playing rudy gobert 40 minutes a game he just has to this is the playoffs and the Jazz have lost home court advantage, like you said. They, I mean, I could see the Grizzlies winning two games, and that would be disastrous for Utah. I mean, you can't afford to lose. I mean, obviously, you've got to win four out of seven, but if you have Rudy Gobert off on the floor for only like 34 minutes or something like that, that is terrible. Uh, so Rudy Gobert is really the key for Utah. He needs to stay on the floor. Donovan Mitchell's probably number two probably number two because we saw in game two what he does and how he really takes the jazz offense to another level. Um, they're not going to shoot 48% from three again, I'm guessing. I mean, you never know. They do have a lot of good shooters, but 48% from three is pretty crazy. Their average uh, was 39 during the regular season. So again, yeah. they shot that poorly in game one. They shot that hot in game two. I think it's fair to assume that they'll be around that 40% number in game three. Yeah. So if they can shoot 38, you know, 38% from three or in that area, at least that amount. And then I don't, I just don't, the thing is, is the Grizzlies, this is going to be an incredible series for John Morant. Like I'll tell you Grizzlies fans right now, he's going to have an incredible series. And one thing is whether the Grizzlies win or not, John Morant is coming out of this with the best storylines because Utah just cannot guard fast guards. They just can't. It just every, you know, if you watch Utah, they just struggle with these super athletic guards like John Morant. Uh, Utah could not guard Jamal Murray in the, the playoffs last year. He just did whatever he wanted and found like a comfort level. 
And so John Morant is going to get his, he just is like the jazz have to find ways to slow him down as best they can. Um, but he's going to just to score. And so the jazz have to do other things. They got to find a way to like keep Dylan Brooks from shooting 10 for 14 from the field. And they've got to continue to keep other players from shooting a high percentage. Like Utah did a pretty good job outside of guarding John Morant and Dylan Brooks of guarding everyone else. Like they kept those guys in check and that's the Rudy Gobert effect because when Rudy Gobert is on the floor, the jazz defenders can really stay out and over protect the three point line. Sure. Um, but Utah still, I mean, they're going to have to figure they've got to try to slow John Morant down. I, I don't know how they, they have yet to prove to me that they can really slow any elite one in the, the game down. So, you know, I actually feel like John Morant needs to get a little bit of the Steph Curry treatment at this point. Uh, Utah needs to, Utah's done some things in the past. Like there was a game this year where they were guarding the Hawks with Trey young and they basically just did everything to get the ball out of his hands. Right. And I, you know, I I don't want to slander Quinn Snyder anymore. I know everyone talks to him about coach of the year and he is a great coach. I don't know if I don't, no, from my point of view, if he's coach of the year, but anyways, that's another story. I understand. But, but, uh, but one thing I do like that Quinn Snyder started doing this year is he has done some things where he will double team a guard even beyond half court line. And I wonder if it, here's a prediction. I wouldn't be surprised if the whole jazz game plan in game three is get the ball out of John Morant's hands. Cause they, they did that to Trey young and it worked really well. They did that against the Warriors with Steph Curry. Uh, They held Steph Curry to four for 14 from three. Um, They really did a pretty decent job. And Rudy Gobert, as long as the Jazz stay in half court, they're able to do that pretty well. Um, They're also going to have to stop the Grizzlies in transition as best they can. The Grizzlies are incredible at getting turnovers and going in transition. And Utah's got to be better in transition um, as best they can. Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if the jazz start trying to get the ball out of John Morant's hands before he's even, you know, into their sets and things like that. That's one of the things I wouldn't be surprised to see. No. And I think everything that you just said is very fair. And, and I'm really interested in seeing how the Grizzlies attack Mitchell in a similar fashion, you know, and, and I think that one of the things that folks forget so much focus is put on what the Utah Jazz do on the perimeter. And obviously, in terms of combining amount of shots with percentage, they're the the highest volume uh, scoring three-point team in the NBA. They're also really damn good at the pick and roll. If I remember Mm -hmm. correctly, they're in the top two or even one in terms of pick and roll offense. Rudy Gobert is phenomenal at that. And Mm -hmm. when it's a Gobert-Mitchell pick and roll, you have a lot of choices to make if you're a defender or a defensive twosome or a rotation group, and none of them are good. <laughs> it's cool. it's, it's that's tough. The, that's the tough thing, and that's what makes the Jazz offense pretty potent is because let's say you do try to get the ball out of Donovan Mitchell's hands. Sure. Well, now you've got – he's going to swing it to Mike Conley, and good luck because now you've probably got a weaker defender guarding Conley, mm-hmm. and Conley still got it, and – I, I did want to mention like last year, as much as Conley struggled, he really kind of found his, his groove this season. Mm-hmm. I think, I think last season he was really trying to prove, cause he knew that the jazz had given up a pretty good amount of things to get him. 
Um, I think he really wanted to prove he was worth it. And I think he got in his own head a little bit. And I think it was harder for him to leave Memphis than maybe we all thought. And this year he really settled into kind of playing off of Donovan Mitchell, letting Donovan Mitchell be that main point of attack and then playing off of that. So when they send, when you send your Dylan Brooks and your double teams, you just give the ball to Conley and he, you know, he can either hit that three. He shot the three incredibly this year. And he's also runs that secondary pick and roll. And it's, it's really a perfect role for him to kind of, as he kind of is in the twilight of his career a little bit, it's a, it's a really nice role he's found. Yeah. We, we still love Mike Conley. Um, he's, you know, he's just a remarkable person as good of a basketball player as he is. He, he's a better person oh, for and sure. he's done phenomenal work in Memphis. I know he's done some of that in Utah as well. And uh, it's really cool to see him find his footing. Um, obviously, uh, we hope he finds it a little less effectively these next few games, but um, it, chances are he's, he's going to continue to be good because he's been good all season. We're finishing up here with James Hansen at Hansen James of SLC Dunk, the Utah Jazz SB Nation team blog here on GBB Live. I'll get you out of here on this, James. The GBB Live question of the day, how many more games will the Memphis Grizzlies win in this series with the Utah Jazz? The four options for our voters were zero. So that would mean, obviously, a Jazz win in five games. One, which would mean Jazz in six. Two, which would mean Jazz in seven. And then, of course, three. If the Grizzlies somehow were able to win three more games, that would be one of the more stunning upsets in recent memory if Memphis was able to knock the Jazz out of the playoffs. Um, Of course, this was a uh, Grizzlies fan base (laughs) poll. So 25% of the fan base said three. But I'm proud of Grizzlies fans because that actually came in third. Zero. Oh, sorry. I retweeted it. I hopefully um, that didn't. No, that's okay. Uh, no, it's okay. I, I think that helped make it more balanced. Mm. Um, so I, I think that that may help make it more balanced. Uh, only 14% of fans think that they're not going to win another game, which I would agree with. 25% said they're going to win three and win the series, which I would think it's probably safe to say that's the Grizzlies fans. Um, the second place vote getter was two games winning. So that would make it a Utah and seven kind of series. The winner 33.7% of the vote goes to one more game that Memphis will win. And that's what I voted for James. I think the Grizzlies will win one of these two in Memphis, probably game three. I think that just makes the most sense. They'll ride that wave of energy. Jazz will get hot. And I think I could see the jazz winning three straight after Memphis wins game three. I think that could, could certainly happen. Um, so I, I, that's where I'm at. I, I'm looking at one more win for Memphis. I predicted Utah and six going into the series. And I, I think that's where it's going to settle. So I, I, I said Memphis is going to win one more game in this series and the jazz will take it in six. Uh, when you look at that poll, obviously you want zero, but it, it sounds like you agree that it's at least going to be one. Did you agree with me that it was one? I voted one. I did. I think, I think they'll win one of these next two games. Uh, if they win game three, I, you know, I think, I think you're right. If they're going to win one, I think it's game three. Um, because I think the jazz are still figuring themselves out a little bit. You've still got Donovan Mitchell coming back from injury and looking a little bit tentative, although he moved better than I expected him to at times. Agreed. I think he's, you know, he had that one play at the end and, you know, I don't know if he, he, everyone on jazz Twitter was just worried that he tweak his ankle. Is it, 
Is he okay? I, I wonder if he's just a little, he hasn't played in like 17 games. So I wonder if he's a little bit out of game shape a tiny bit. And so I wonder if he's still kind of working his way back, just game shape as well, you know? And, and so I, I think that if they're going to win one, I think it's game three, um, you know, and this is all based on if Donovan Mitchell's healthy too. If Donovan Mitchell's not healthy, then I think it's a 50, 50. I think, uh, I think the Grizzlies can beat the jazz if Donovan Mitchell's not quite there, but he looked, he looked solid to me, um, in game two. So I think, I think that Grizzlies can definitely win one. I expect them to win one more. Um, cause there's going to be a game where they have their role players play really well, you know, and they're, that's just very possible. And so I would predict one, I think the poll's probably right. I would agree. I, I think jazz and six is a safe, Safe prediction. That's the thing about seven game series, right? Almost always uh, the better team wins uh, because it's the way of the, the structure of the series. The first to get to four, usually the better team does that. Uh, doesn't always work out that way. The, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm sure the, the specter of the 2011 Spurs who, <laughs> spoiler alert, lost to the Memphis Grizzlies uh, in a 1-8 matchup. I'm sure that probably makes some Utah fans lose sleep at night, but um, Memphis doesn't have a Shane Battier. Memphis doesn't have, you know, they have John Morant, but you know, Zach Randolph, the, the, the whole spirit and vibe of that was a little bit different. So, and the Spurs were old, right. And, and, and again, the jazz, jazz aren't are young. Jazz are pretty old. Right. Of Mitchell. Right. But I, I think Mitchell's the key and you mm. alluded to it. And I agree with you. If Mitchell is not 100%, if Mitchell struggles, in these games, because he's going to get jumped on, like in terms of mm-hmm. he's going to get boot, he's going to get Dylan Brooks treatment in Memphis. Mm-hmm. If he can't ma- be that scorer that he was in game two, then the Grizzlies could win both of these games. I think that's very possible. I just, you know, I've watched Donovan Mitchell play a decent amount of basketball, and I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to have at least one good game in Memphis. Utah will get home court back and and things will kind of work themselves out from there but it's going to be awesome to see playoff basketball back in memphis it's been a wonderful conversation with you james thank you so much for taking the time it's much appreciated enjoy the weekend enjoy the basketball the playoffs have been awesome so far and uh, we'll have to have you back on down the road you bet anytime absolutely thank you again that was james hansen at hansen james on twitter make sure you're following him and the great group at slc dunk uh they do fantastic work on the utah jazz for SB Nation. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at GBB Live. You can follow me if you wish at Joe Molinax, and you can follow the blog that I am fortunate enough to be the site manager of SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues at SBN Grizzlies. Subscribe, rate, review to the GBB Podcast Network. We're on Stitcher, we're on Spotify, we're on iTunes, Google, iHeart, basically anywhere that you can get a podcast, you can subscribe. And you can get, of course, this flagship show that I've been doing for way too long, uh, eight years now, uh, GBB Live. You can get the core four. You can get three and D. You can get starting five. Very proud of the work that we do over at GBB. Make us a part of your Memphis Grizzlies playoff and beyond uh, picture. So, again, for James, thanks again to him. I'm Joe Molinax. Grind forth, Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live.